Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. You know, God is always good and he is always wise. I think we're going to find today that some things just don't all the way fit and that's okay. So I want to let you know a little bit before we dive in, I I want you to hear the whole story. Sometimes we hear a little bit and then we start to decide where this is going, uh, but I want you to hear the whole thing. Um, You got to know, I love America. I'm sure many of you do too. Raise your hand if you love America. Raise your hand if you know somebody who is in the military who has served our country. Yeah, we are so thankful for them. We're so thankful for you if you are here, if you are present. Thank you. Um, I, you got to know that my hobby, like my only thing I do other than be a dad and a husband and do God things and work out is study American, early American history. It's like, it's my jam, baby. It's, it's the thing I love. And I don't, you know, I'm, I appreciate the battles, but really I'm more interested in the ideas. Like I love to study what caused this to happen. What were the things, what were the problems this was solving? What brought this about? And I, I tell you all that so that you know I don't like America. I love America. I love the concepts of America. I love what happened. All my heroes, other than Bible people, are American Revolution people. Like, I love them all. And honestly, I'm one of those guys that gets a little bit like miffed, a little bit, when I hear random people say stuff that's mostly myth and doesn't really make any historical sense, and they refer to early America, and I'm like, bro, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you're just spitting some junk you heard somewhere, and that ain't even real. That's not what it was even about. So that's just one of my little pet peeves. And I need you to know that because we're going to go to this message, and I'm afraid you're going to hear like, "Uh uh-oh, I think this is like an anti-American message. Super not. Super pro-American. I just want us to hear the whole story. Because we're in this moment right now where there's a lot of polarization, as there's been, but man, it feels like it's coming ahead this week, right? And and everybody's tired, everybody's weary, and, and this year has been the year from hell. And now everyone's like, they're on edge, and everybody's got our nerves, and and we're scared. And many people need some courage. And people, you know, some people are so angry at one another, you know, Thanksgiving's going to be a beast. Like, you can't, how, how's that going to go? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, who cares what happens? That's just going to be hard. You got people, not only like outside the church, but you guys know this, this is in the church. There's people that can't even talk to one another. They can't, they can't say nice things to one another. They can't even be interacting. You got to unfollow or that thing's going to blow up. And, and people are super comfortable just kind of speaking for God. And you know that always goes well. Because whenever anyone starts to speak for God, invariably they end up saying something dumb that completely contradicts who God is. And we, just, we get in our little hobby horse and we begin to uh, come into places where we're starting to question, I feel like there's a lot that's Christian about America. But is it really true that always what is true about America is the same thing as God's agenda? And we're going to find out that it's not. And so as we go into this next week, I want to remind us, many of you know this, but this is going to be a, a review. And others of you, you've, you've got to newly understand this, that the kingdom of God is not of this world. There's a lot to love about our country. There's a lot that's wonderful about our country. There's a lot that's better than there's ever been ever in the history of the world for real. But it, it still ain't the kingdom of God. And we got to get super clear on that because if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, that's okay. Hey, check it out. You're going to learn some cool stuff today. But if you are, this super matters 
Because the kingdom of God really is a primary. There's a lot of things that are secondary. And for me, like other than family and church, like country, I'm not trying to like be, I'm not trying to wow you or anything. I'm not trying to like be bravado-ish. I'm ready to die today for my country, right now. I hope it's not today because it's my daughter's birthday and I feel like that would jack her up a little bit. But tomorrow then, you know what I'm saying? I'm ready to die for Jesus and I'm ready to die for my country now. But we gotta clarify this stuff. As we go in, otherwise, Christians get to be confused and they think American things are necessarily God things and they're not always the same thing. So we got to check this thing out. Um, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is not of this world. I got I to warn you, you're not going to like everything I say. That's all right, you know, because I probably don't like everything you say. And um, I, think you, I don't think you should even go to a church where you like everything it is ever said. I think you probably stopped growing a little while ago if that's, if that's true. Because... I don't care how old you are, if you're still coming to the Bible, if you're still coming to this book and you're not challenged in any way, and you're not like cut to the heart in any way, baby, I like bad news, you might be dead. <laughs> because that's the only people this thing won't cut to the quick. I guess that's good news in a way. But, um, so we're going to take a look at Jesus as he confronts political power, which is something he actually did. And now let's go back to Jesus' day. So we're going to go through the Jesus stuff, and I promise we're going to whip it back around and talk about what's going on in our country right now. But let's go back to Jesus' day because just like today, there's groups. There's groups like the Sadducees, okay? These are people, it's, it's, it's a version of a political party, all right? And they're the people that are the descendants of Aaron. These are the, the Jewish folks who are like, hey, man, we believe in the priesthood. We don't even really believe anything beyond the first five books of the Bible. We're not, we don't believe in angels. We don't believe in the supernatural. We're not really sure that God's speaking anything right now, but we believe in this. And that was kind of their way of thinking about things. And then you had the Pharisees, and this is actually a renewal movement. These are people that were trying to purify the Jewish people from the Greeks and the Romans. They're saying all this corruption is leaking in through the Greeks and the Romans. We've got to get away from that. We got to get back to purity, baby. But they they believe in the supernatural. They believe God can do stuff today that He's doing stuff right now. Then you had another group that we don't hear much about. It was the Essenes, and these are folks. They say, "I'll tell you what, man. We can't even deal with this." Now they didn't really say that. That's not their why. But they went out of the desert. They say, "We can't be around everybody else. We're going to give ourselves to study." They were the mystics of the time. They're the ones. We're going to go out in the desert and we're going to seek God. They're the monks. Okay. And to their credit, they preserved a lot of great stuff for us. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which confirms to us a lot of the truth of Scripture, that Scripture hasn't changed over all these centuries, that it really was just what we thought it was. Um, so they did all this. It was really helpful to us, but they're still they're, they're, they're saying, we're not going to engage. We're going to pull back. Many people believe that's where John the Baptist spent a lot of time was out with the Essenes. Well, then you've got the Zealots. Now, the zealots were different than all of them. They're like, you know, we need to get back to the old times. I'll tell you what we need. We need a good old-fashioned uprising. We need to overthrow Rome. We need to get out from one of those things, just like our ancestors did. They were the ones who were like, hey, man, I'll tell you what we need now. We need another revolution. Let's all just go, you know, get our guns before Walmart gets rid of them, and, and let's have ourselves a new revolution. They, these are the ones who are like, God is still into violence, so let's go. Let's go get this thing done. That's who the zealots were. So you've got all these parties, and you know, you, you can look at these, and it's like, I'm not so sure. It seems like they all have a little bit of truth, and yet because they're operating in the wisdom of man, somebody say wisdom of man, because they're operating in the wisdom of man, corruption invariably bleeds into them. They've all got little pieces of the truth, but they don't have the whole truth. 
And the very moment that we start to speak as though we have the whole truth, like each one of these, is often the very moment we begin to actually oppose God's agenda rather than be the ones who are bringing it about. And we see this no place clearer than with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These are the ones who are like, we have it right. And they're looking at the Messiah that they're waiting for. And they're saying, best thing to do with this guy is kill him. That's what the wisdom of man will do. Even religiously laced wisdom of man, especially when it encounters political power. Because political power is the power to get people to do things for you. It's to make things happen. It's to write laws, pass laws, enforce laws. You get to tell people, essentially, here's what you're going to do. And even when this political power, even when this well-meaning political power and human wisdom, when they meet, often it is a recipe for disaster the way it often was from about 300 A.D. to after the Reformation. Whenever you mix this political power and spiritual zeal, you can get You can get good, but you can get a whole lot of bad. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew 16, 6, Jesus warned them, he said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. He said, beware of this thing. Yeast gets into the bread and it changes the form of the bread. He says, there's an influence, there's a corrupting agent in all these different people that you can listen to, Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, Romans, whoever it is, there's a yeast that can corrupt us because it's the wisdom of man apart from the Spirit of God. And and precious, the Pharisees are gone, but the yeast ain't gone. There's yeast everywhere. Have you not seen yeast yet? Have you not noticed this? Are you not seeing that we can be corrupted easily? We can begin to take a different whole shape because of what we're hearing and what we're seeing? I mean, have have you noticed the way social media can immediately get you to think a little bit differently? Have you noticed that you can have instant outrage when you understand three facts out of 20? Have you noticed this? Have you, like, thought through the idea that there are demagogues today, just like there were demagogues in the past, who make money out of creating political instability? Like, that's been true. Why would it not be true now, now that we have more access, more communication, more power, and more wealth? Of course that's true. And Jesus wants us to be careful because there's a corrupting influence that they can have on all of us. So let's go, let's see what Jesus did as he takes on power. Now, Jesus has already been accused. He's actually already been back and forth from Herod to Pilate. Like, he's going to die today. And they want to put him to death. And and honestly, Pontius Pilate, he's looking for a way out. He's looking, I don't don't think this guy deserves death. So we're going to come up right here in the middle of his interrogation before Pilate. Verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, his enemies are charging him with claiming to be a king, and that's a trigger for Rome, okay? It's not because they don't really care about Messiah stuff. They care, are you saying you're a threat here? Are you going to try to raise up some followers and try to overtake us? What are you doing here, Jesus? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Now, here's classic Jesus, man. He's concerned about the soul. He's, He's looking at Pontius Pilate. He's like, are you talking like abstractly? about messiahs? Are you actually interested in who I am and what I can do like the thief on the cross was? It wasn't theoretical for the thief on the cross. It was like, can you save me today? Like, that's what it was for him. And Jesus is asking, just so we know, just before we pass go here, if you're looking for a savior, I'm available, is what Jesus is saying, because that's what he always wants to say to all of us. 
Somebody say, bless Jesus. Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And again, he's looking for Jesus. You've got some hidden followers somewhere. I don't know. We've put down a lot of guys like you before. So I just need to know if you're really claiming to be a king or if these guys just look like they're accusing you to, to kill you for some reason. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That's a really important sentence right there. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now, sidelight, this has nothing to do with the message. But I just want everyone to understand, as, as you grow as a Bible student, anytime these New Testament writers say the word Jews, most of the time, they're not referring to the Jewish race. Okay, Especially in this context, it's like, are they calling the Jews the bad guys? They mean the Jewish leaders, okay? The writer himself, John, is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. Peter's a Jew. All these folks are Jewish. So he's not saying the Jewish race is supposed to be seen in light, in the light of being bad guys, which if only history would have figured that out earlier. Um, but he is saying these, these are the Jewish leaders. So now you know. And Jesus is saying, um, Pilate, my kingdom is a little different. My kingdom doesn't spread by violence. My, my kingdom doesn't spread by hate or worry, or fear. My kingdom is from heaven. It's not from here. My kingdom doesn't come because people force other people into doing it the way they want to do it. That's a misunderstanding of how my kingdom works. In my kingdom, you don't have to force anybody. My kingdom isn't attained by the sword, which, oh my word, if history would have figured that out. My kingdom isn't attained by the sword. And check it out. It's really important for us to understand. In the way Jesus means it, my kingdom isn't even attained by votes. Now, votes are way better for change than the sword is. It's not that God doesn't use that. But Jesus is saying, that's not the way you cause my kingdom to come about. You don't, you don't do it by force. My kingdom isn't connected to any other political entity or national entity. My kingdom is entirely different. My kingdom doesn't come about by rebellion. It actually comes about by submission. My kingdom doesn't come about because of human effort, my kingdom comes about because the Son of God chooses to lay down his life for his subjects. See, he's, he's, he's the weirdest king Pontius Pilate's ever heard of. He's the kind of king that says, I don't need my subjects to bend over backwards for me. In fact, I want to die for them to get them close to me, to get them out of the punch. I want to bring heaven back to earth. But I'm going to start in the human heart. Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered. So, so Jesus keeps going back for that. I am a king. I'm not a king. I am a king. I'm not a king. He says, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's dropping hints to Pilate right there. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Are you ready to listen, sir? Are you ready to listen? He says, Pilate, I'm not like any king you've ever met. See, every human king there's ever been is a fallen sinful shadow of what I am. I am the king of heaven. I'm the king of something you can't even entirely understand. And I was born to tell people the truth. I love a king that'll tell you the truth. You know, we got some politicians. You don't know if they're going to tell you the truth. That kind of bums you out, doesn't it? I mean, you, you expect them to not tell you the truth. You expect somebody's twist and you can't you can't watch the debates without being like come on man 
Somebody's got to be twisting something here. Aren't you so glad that the king, he's never going to twist it on you. Even if you don't like it, he's still going to tell it to you. He's going to tell you. Listen to what he says. This is Jesus' verdict. This is one of the reasons he came was to tell us the truth. This is what it says in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. Here's, Here's God's perspective. He says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, being Jesus. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's a major judgment that the world has a very hard time accepting in most ages, but especially in this age because people loved evil. Now, people, they like good, but that's the problem. When you look at all the problems in the world happening right now, when you see all the turmoil that we're all in, why? Why? Because the problem is the human heart. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. The problem isn't out there. It's not just social. There are social problems. There is systemic evil. But it all springs from right here. You guys are hopeless without a brand new heart and a king to give it to you. But he doesn't leave us there because Jesus doesn't leave you without hope. How many know Jesus doesn't leave you without hope? He'll tell you the truth, but then he'll put some hope on there just to make sure you're not discouraged. Verse 17 said, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus says, yeah, y'all are bad. You're corrupted from the very inner parts, but I have a way of buying you back, and I want you. I'm not here to throw the book at you. I'm here rather than instead to fulfill the book so you can be at home in the kingdom. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? (laughs) What is truth? He's standing right right in front of you, buddy. What is truth? And as he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Now, we don't really know what he means by what is truth. Maybe he's just like, truth, I've heard that before. Maybe he's like genuinely trying to figure it out in that moment. But, but we're not supposed to miss the irony. Truth is right there. And you're say, he's telling you, anyone who listens to me is listening to truth, and then you walk away and get back to your work. Like we sometimes often do. Like Jesus is trying to tell us some truth, and we're like, yeah, I got to go to work. And we, we move on out. And yet, encouragingly to Pilate, he's like, oh, like Jesus talking about all this kingdom stuff. He's like, oh, okay, you're a philosopher. You're like one of these Stoics. You're like one of these guys. I know about you guys. If there's anything that is not revolutionary, it's philosophers. Okay, not a problem then, man. I do not think that you are a threat. But he's conflicted because he, does, he, he believes this guy's innocent. He doesn't want to kill him. And yet he also, he's shrewd. He's like, well, I don't want to kill them, but I guess if they kill them, at least there won't be an uprising and I'll be able to go to bed just fine tonight. Then he says, but you have a custom, he's talking to the people, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, you, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The Bible says more about Barabbas. Said he was a murderer, he was an insurrectionist, he was a zealot. He was one of these guys that actually, you know, we think he's, he's oh, I mean, he must have been nasty. We probably would think he was something else. We probably really, he, he's a guy of force. This guy's strength. He's not afraid to stand up to the man. Here's a guy, he's willing to go into jail, man. He's willing to even kill for it because that's how much he believes. He's a nationalist. That Barabbas, he's, he's probably, probably a good idea here. And so they're given that notice who the people choose. Okay, you can have Barabbas, this, you know, kind of rebel with a cause kind of guy. Or you can have Jesus. You know, I don't know what this guy is. He's some kind of a magician or 
maybe a moral teacher, I don't know, but he sure looks weak. He ain't even saying nothing. When they're accusing him, he just sits there. He, doesn't, he can't have a backbone. Now, if we're going to put our hope in somebody, if we're going to be like, who's going to get some stuff done for the nation of Israel? I wonder who's going to be. Barabbas? He's bold. I don't know, man. Jesus, it, it ain't looking so hot for him. And Jesus wants to reassure us, hey, um, my kingdom is not of this world. God wants us to be very clear that the kingdom Jesus is building, it's just not of this world. And we can have preferences of God in our laws. Hey, this is the way God would prefer it. We can have some of God's laws in our ways, but that doesn't mean that's the kingdom. And that is, might even help. It might even enforce moral goodness, but it's not the same thing as our ultimate agenda, which is the kingdom coming. So which one would you choose? Do you want kind of the rock star Barabbas? Which one do you think is more likely? Or do you want the guy who... I don't know, man, he's, he seems to be about like loving your enemies. I don't know how loving Rome is going to do any good at this point. You'll notice, of course, that version of Rome is long gone, and Jesus' people are still here. Let's clarify something. Who is God for? Is God, is he for the Democrats? Is he for the Republicans? I mean, I don't know, man, is he for the Bears or the Cowboys? Which one is God for? How do you know? If they both pray, which one is going to get God's help today? Well, let's check it out. God is for himself. That's who he's for. Because that's the only smart one to be for. God is for himself. God declares unequivocally, I am for my own glory. And he lets us know the degree to which you align yourself with me, you will be blessed. And the degree to which you oppose me, that way is already cursed, and there's nothing you can do to bless it. God says, the smartest person in the universe for me to be for is for me to be for me, because that's what blesses you the most. And we see this very vividly in Joshua chapter 5. Okay, Joshua, he's nervous. He's, go, he's about to go out for a battle in the morning. And he's going out to pray, oh, I better seek God now. And as he's out there, the angel of the Lord appears to him. And this angel of the Lord, when the angel of the Lord appears to you in the Old Testament, that's like God himself appearing, okay? That is the messenger that's so close. Whatever he says is what God is saying. And he's like, Lord, are you for me or my enemies? And you'd think, duh, this is the people. Joshua is the leader of the people of God. They're going into the promise. Of, of course God is for them. And listen to what he says. Verse 14. No. No. Are you for me or my enemies? No. No, rather, I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. He says, Joshua, I got my own army. I am not a cheerleader. I'm here to do what I'm here to do. All right? And he doesn't even give him a battle plan. Listen to what he says. And Joshua fell down face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what is my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord, he doesn't bust out a playbook. He says to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. God is for himself. God is the king of heaven. And the moment we're like, God, what do we do? God says, look at me. Get on your knees and look at me. You don't need to worry about your plan. Worry about my plan. Get in line with my plan, because I'm going to win. I always win. So if you want discernment, if you want to not freak out right now, get on your knees and look at God. And say, God, you're the winner. You just help me do what you would do. Revelation eleven fifteen. 
The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is in the future, but he's talking about it like it's in the past. He's saying, I'm so confident. Listen, every nation, every kingdom, every entity, I can tell you how it ends. They bow the knee, and Jesus Christ rules. Right now it's spiritually, but it's going to be physically. You're going to be looking around and be like, oh, yeah, it's here now. Yeah, it all worked exactly the way God said. Blessed are the people who will act that way now before you see it physically. And this is just the way it's, it's gone throughout history. This is the way it's all. God is the one. He raises up one nation and he brings down another. Think about Mesopotamia. Think about ancient Egypt. Think about all the lands of Canaan. Think about the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Mongols. Century after century. Yep, there's a nation on top and boom, there it falls again. It would be foolhardy to think that pattern won't repeat. As long as Jesus tarries, that's probably what's going to happen. Now, what's encouraging about it is, and God's in charge of all of it. He's the one that handles all that stuff. He doesn't delegate that part. He leaves it up to himself. Daniel 2.21, he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Isaiah 40.23, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. See, this is why Christians can never truly, listen to me now. I'm going to tell you the word, okay? You ready? This is true. Christians can never really align with any political party because there is no political party that can rightly represent Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, they got different bumps and different pieces, but they don't have the whole thing. Nobody can do that. And that's why we care about so many different things. I mean, listen, the world should be confused when it looks at Christians. They should. We don't fit. We do not fit. They should look at us and be like, I can't figure this out. Because in some ways, you look conservative. And in other ways, you look liberal. And I don't totally get this. And that's because our values cannot match any. There's no two-party system that can handle it. Okay? So we, we value human rights. We value the poor. We value women. We value the unborn. We value sexuality in a high form within the context of marriage. We will oppose Every place, racial injustice. We will stand up for the immigrant. Now, you can disagree about how to handle certain pieces of that. You can disagree about, well, you know, what's the best policy for immigration? You can debate the hows all day, but if you are the people of God, you don't get to debate the what's. He's told you the what's. He says, I am the king. And in the kingdom of God, ain't nobody confused about that. Nobody's confused about who's in charge in the kingdom. Everybody knows it's Jesus, and we all like it. We all like that he's in charge. We want to submit. You look around our world right now, and you say, well, I don't, I don't, it depends who's in charge. And even if they are in charge, I don't know if I'm going to like it. Everybody likes that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And that is why the world doesn't really know what to think of us, but that's why we've got to be very careful to not settle for Christian-ish. When we should demand, I have one allegiance, thank you. I have one. I love America. I have one allegiance, and it is to the king that always wins. The king of heaven, the king, the Lord, Jesus Christ, who will lay down his life for his servants, who's the only one who always tells you the truth, who's the only one I can be confident will always bring justice. That's the king that I just check my heart. No matter, so, so that means I'm not going to get all wrought up about this election or that election, because who knows? Who knows how the king is going to make that thing work? We don't know. So, since Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, 
Man, we're only on number one. Number one, there's 17. No, I'm just kidding. There's only two. There's only two. Number one, we don't try to force the coming or expansion of the kingdom in a worldly way. We don't try to do it. My kingdom were of this world. My servants would have been fighting, implying if it's really Jesus' kingdom, his servants don't have to fight. They don't have to force. They don't have to, they don't have to get people to obey God's ways. And my friends, this is exactly what the church has already tried. Okay? So in the 300s, Constantine became the emperor of Rome. And what he did, he, we believe, there's no reason to not believe it, that he was a Christian. He became a Christian. He's like, oh, man, what are we doing? We've been persecuting all these Christians all this time. Tell you what, let's not only make it illegal to persecute them, let's put the full power of the state behind Christianity. And some good things came from that, but a lot of bad things came from that. Because suddenly, you had the ability to force people to do things in a Christian way. And it starts to get really fuzzy. Now, who's a Christian and who's not? Who's just doing this because they're compelled to? Who actually is accessing the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that is uncorrupted? And by the way, now if there's like offices that Christians can hold and there's even Christian offices, how do we stop people who aren't even born of the Spirit from rising up into those positions and using power to do all kinds of things that are not the ways of God, claiming to represent God? And then as time goes by over the centuries, what if even the Christians who are in power just, dude, they don't even read their Bible. They don't even know. And so they start to kill people and put people to death for heresy, which so many atrocities happen throughout the next 1,000 years because people are trying to force people. No, you do things the way we think God means. They had all the power of the state. They were compelling, and they didn't read John 18. They forgot. My kingdom is not of this world. My servants don't need to fight. It doesn't look like this. You combine these two that really most of the time are best, most of the time are best when the church is on the margins. When the church is on the margins, man, it has a whole lot of power. You get to come out. You get to come out from the world like, oh, I see the distinct difference here. But we're trying to force people, well, you just got to do the Christian thing because we demand it. That hasn't worked, okay? We had that experiment. We had that European experiment, and it didn't work. Listen to what theologian, he's passed away now, but... Laman Sena said this. He's an African-American theologian that taught missions at Yale. And he said, in the next two, 300 years, we're going to look back at the European idea of Christendom, which isn't the same thing as Christianity. It's the combination of the governmental power and Christianity. And we're going to see that it did not go very well because they disregarded John 18. We are not. It is not God's way for us to force heaven into earth. Rather, we're to be witnesses that testify, oh, heaven's already breaking into earth, and it's starting in the heart. See, when people are changed from the heart, they actually don't need a ton of convincing. When the Spirit of God has taught them from the Word and from the Spirit, um, they don't need to be forced into stuff because the Spirit of God is releasing them to do it. So what do we do? I mean, we work, we vote. It doesn't mean we, we, we're not like the Essenes. We don't go away from the world. We stay in the world, just not of the world. We vote. We, we fight for it, man, in, in a verbal way. Like, we make the best arguments. But we don't get hooked on the idol of politics. This is, I feel like this is an idol people don't talk about in church. So we're going to talk about it here. Like anything else, dude, politics can be an idol. You're looking at that for some kind of, like, source solution or something to fulfill. Or like, this will finally be the answer. Well, it hasn't been the answer for the past 2,000 years. So I don't know what changed. Nothing did. 
So we might as well accept that that's an idol, that's false, that's not the way I'm supposed to go. And here's the deal, here's the thing about us. No matter what happens this coming week with this election, you don't know what's going to happen after that. You don't know what that leads to. There's this ancient Chinese story of this man whose father and a son and their horse was stolen by nomads, traveling through, stole the horse. And everybody, all the townspeople come up, they're like, oh, poor guy, man, that's too bad. Your horse got stolen. And the father says, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if this is misfortune or if it's good. Year later, horse comes back, and it brings a stallion with it. And everyone's like, hey, now you're rich. This is great, man. Look at how this has worked out for you. And the old man says, well, you never know. You know if this is good or bad. Who knows what's going to happen now? Well, a year later, his son is thrown from the horse, breaks his hip. And everyone's like, oh, you poor man. Oh, this horse. Bad luck for you, man. Too bad this thing came along. Again, the old man's like, well, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. A year later, war breaks out, and all the young men have to go to war, and nine out of ten die. But that young man didn't have to go because he broke his hip. And now he's at home taking care of his dad, taking care of one another. The point of the story is you don't know where this goes. Even if you think you know, even if you know, oh, this policy will do this and this policy will do it. Yeah, hope, maybe, hopefully. I mean, it's good to hope for stuff. But even so, you don't know how God will work good from bad. Hello, hello. Oh, I'm afraid that this is just going to happen. Do you know about God? Do you know what he does? He works good out of bad. That's like one of the main things he does, okay? Like on the job description of God, that's one of the top ones. That's what God does. He works good out of bad bad. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not going to embrace the ways we've already seen. We're not going to be like the Romans and just punish and, you know, intimidate people. We're not going to be like the zealots and just get violent. Well, we're just going to impress our way. We're not even going to be like the Pharisees. Well, I'm just going to manipulate and make you feel guilty and all that kind of, that's the way of the world. That's how they try to get things done. That's not what we do. That's not the way of the kingdom. Number two, because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, we tell and live the truth as our primary agenda. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What about if I seek it number two and political stuff is number one? No. That's not what he said. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. If you are Dear man and woman of God, if you are too focused on politics and not focused on the kingdom, you are doing it wrong. If you're focused on politics more than the kingdom, you're doing it wrong. That's not God's way. That's not how God wants. The kingdom is the plan. Let's come back to the playbook. The kingdom is the plan. That's God's plan. That's his whole plan. He's going to Invite people into his kingdom, change their heart. They're going to go out and change the world in little pockets, and they're going to do it right up to the time that the king comes back. And everybody that didn't get their heart changed is going to be like, oh, no, because now the true king is here, and now justice is going to be handled. That's the play. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to get distracted. We're not supposed to get our our eyes off the prize. What would this look like? It would look like a colony of heaven, Philippians 3.20. This is real. This isn't just poetry. Philippians 3.20, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. The early church believed they were citizens of heaven. 
They believed that wherever, whatever country they're in, they're actually in a foreign country. They're ambassadors from another country, and they get to have a little colony. And you can be both, okay? So you can love America. Yes, I know that America is where you live, but your truest country is actually heaven if you're a Christian. And that means whoever becomes president within the coming week, that's a president, as far as you're concerned, of on the realist level of a foreign country. It ain't even your country. Your real country is heaven. That's how we roll. We don't, just like the early church, we resist. We, do, we just don't flow with everything that the rest of the world does. We, we say, man, there's only one. Caesar's not Lord. There's only one. And so, we, we, like them, we think of it as, a, as an identity. Yes, we're going to pay our taxes. Yes, we're going to pray for the emperor or the president. We're going to pray for all of them. We're just not going to hang our hopes on their kingdom. How about an example? John Woolman and the Quakers in 1758 before the American Revolution, okay? They, they thought of themselves as a little colony of heaven. So they lived differently from all the rest of the people around them. What they would do is if you wanted to become a Quaker, you had to get rid of your slaves. Now, slavery was everywhere in the world. It was in the 13 colonies and everywhere else. And they said, yeah, not for us, though, because we're a colony of heaven. So not only do you have to not have slaves, you actually need to pay them back for the years they were in your service, Wow, do you, you imagine how different that was? George Washington didn't, didn't do that. Thomas Jefferson didn't do that. Patrick Henry didn't do that. But these guys did it because why? Because we're a colony of heaven and we just do it different and we don't fit in this time quite right. That's your call. You're not supposed to fit in this time quite right because you're a colony of heaven. And if we're a colony of heaven, there's a lot of things we'll do that just seem like, I don't know how that fits exactly. It's not supposed to fit. So, like, what did you, we're at the end here now. What did Jesus do? He took action and surrendered. Took action and surrendered. He surrendered to what God would bring about. And that's what we got to do. Like Jesus, we got to take action. We, sure, man, we vote. Absolutely. And we have good arguments and we share good information. And for some of us, you can run for political office and you do the good that God has assigned you to do in that area. But we don't hang our hopes on a kingdom that is actually not to last and not our home country. And we pray. We pray for President Trump. We pray for Vice President Pence. We pray for Joe Biden. We pray for Kamala. I can't, I don't know which one to say now. Kamala or Kamala, you know, I just, whichever one is the one that doesn't freak you out, that's the one I mean. We pray for her, all right? We pray for every one of our current public, the ones you don't like, you pray for them. We pray, oh God, bring the kingdom. Lord, do it in them. Give them the ability to somehow make your name known as holy. Give them the power to, even if they don't know you, if they don't even know what they're doing, cause them to reinforce ideas and laws that will make it easier for people to find you and do the most good. We do all that, but here's what we don't do. We don't, let, we don't let social media trick us into thinking like it has that your opinion is somehow meaningful in the big picture. That's a big trick. I, I, I'm so glad I remember the days when everybody knew, nobody cares about your opinion. <laughs> Who are you? Nobody cares. Nobody cares, but here's what, here's what will matter is your prayer. What will matter is your salt and light. That will matter. Your opinion is not going to matter. But your salt and light and your prayer as a member of the colony of heaven, that's going to matter. And that's going to be 
meaningful. So we surrender like Jesus. Because if we don't, what's the alternative? We're opposing God? It's not, we don't want to oppose God right now. Jesus is the most in charge, and he doesn't take charge in this moment before Pilate. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how to respond. How do we, whatever happens, okay, what's, what's a half-safe way to respond to that? We're going to get into it. But for now, let's just decide we're going to live like this is true. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom is breaking in, and we're going to live like a colony of heaven, like we're waiting on a God that is going to keep his promise. Let's pray. Lord, we want to lift up our country right now. We pray for everything that is coming. We, we pray for the best possible ends. We know that you know the way to them. We know that you know every contingency. We know that you know what you're doing as God. But we pray for our country that you would keep us safe. We pray for, um, we pray against heated stuff. We pray against violence. We pray against hate. We pray against ways that the enemy would want to use this opportunity to hurt people. We pray against ways the enemy would want to shut people down. So the gospel, we pray rather that you would help people, whatever happens, to have a renewed invigoration for their need for God. Lord, we thank you that you are the God over all time, and we submit this coming week to you. We pray for us that we would do our best as Americans, but also that we would do our best as citizens of heaven in this colony. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this, why not subscribe? Share it with your friends. Click on the share button and take a screenshot and then share it on social media or your social stories. Hey, whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Thanks for listening.